you're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 76. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're having a great week. Have you ever wondered about the specifics of what makes plants so useful for us? There are many different ways to experience herbal medicine. Sometimes we take a more spiritual approach, but today I want to invite you to take a closer look at herbal constituents. My guest is an amazing woman who makes this subject pretty exciting. Her name is Lisa Ganora. Lisa began studying Western herbalism in the 80s. Later, she lived and wildcrafted in the Appalachians. There, she studied with folk healers and created herbal products to sell as she traveled the festival circuit with her herb booth. After practicing as a community herbalist for a decade, Lisa returned to college and graduated from the University of North Carolina in Asheville with multiple awards in biology and chemistry. After graduation, she focused on studying pharmacognosy and phytochemistry. And in case you're wondering, pharmacognosy is pharmacology of plants. Since 2012, Lisa has been directing the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism and managing elderberries, and this is a Rocky Mountain herb farm and education center in Peonia, Colorado. Lisa has served as adjunct professor of pharmacognosy at the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, has lectured and taught classes at numerous schools and conferences around the U.S., she is the author of Herbal Constituents, a popular textbook on herbal phytochemistry for natural health practitioners, which is used by schools and universities worldwide. By the end of this episode, you'll learn about different ways plants use their unique chemistry and how we can utilize this knowledge of chemistry in prevention and healing. Please check out additional resources mentioned in today's episode at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 76. Enjoy. Hello, Lisa. How are you doing? Hi, Lana. I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. And I'm so delighted that you are here. I wanted to start our conversation by asking you to talk a little bit about how you got started, how your career as an herbalist began. Why were you drawn to herbs in general? I know that you spent the first 10 years in herbal practice. So what were they like? Oh, you know, I think it goes way back to when I was a little kid because um, I grew up in the Ozarks and we were kind of farmy, horsey people. And so, you know, I was a nerdy kid, and but I would take off on my horse all day and play in the woods. And one of my games was, you know, I live in the woods and I eat these plants. So I was always kind of messing with stuff. And like 
my dad showed me how to dig sassafras roots and things like that. So I always had like a little bit of a connection, you know, going back through the family that way. But the thing that really got me into it was um, this happened in Provincetown in 1986. At, I was uh, doing the starving artist thing, and you know, you're in your 20s. It's, who am I? What's my? What am I supposed to be doing in life? You know, maybe I'm an artist. And but um, I got myself accidentally addicted to Belgian baking chocolate. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> like serious amounts of it, and uh, it was great because you know, chocolate really makes you high. But then there's the, it's the roller coasters. So you go up and then you go down. And um, I didn't really understand anything about health or physiology at that point. I was in my early 20s. And, um, but after a while, I figured out I couldn't stop doing it. And I figured out it was bad for me because, you know, I feel great for half an hour, an hour, and then I felt terrible afterwards, you know. So I, I picked up on that roller coaster pattern eventually. And, um, so I was like, oh, wow, I should stop. And I tried to stop and I couldn't, you know, on purpose by trying to make myself, I would just keep doing it. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Am I addicted to this stuff? You know, is that what that means? So I had a friend who was in recovery from alcohol addiction and I went and I talked to her and, and she said, she said, oh yeah, you people can get addicted to anything. You know, it doesn't have to be like a drug or whatever with quotes around it there. Um, so she said, you know what helps me the most? I'm like, what? She said, dandelion root tea. Mm. <laughs> and that was like the first time I ever heard of like the therapeutic use of medicinal herb. And I was, I was super skeptical because, you know, I'm like that. And um, I, I, I just was like, I didn't know. I didn't even know how to take that. And she's like, okay, so here's what you do. You go, you get some, you brew it up. And every time you want to do your substance, you do a cup of that instead first right? And then you drink it down and then do what you got to do. Don't fight yourself against your substance, right? And it'll make you want less of it. So I was like, oh, this is weird. And I remember, but I decided to give it a try. I remember going into that little tiny health food store, Provincetown, Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. And the Cape Cod, feeling all weird, like, oh, there were scary people in there, you know, <laughs> like freaky people. And I, and I went in there all tentative and I asked for my dandelion roots and I got it and I went home and I tried it and it really helped, which just floored me because I didn't think it was a real thing at that point. Mm -hmm. So I drank the tea and instead of eating the entire Belgian chocolate bar, I just wanted half of it and I ate half of it and I stopped. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I kept repeating that. And every time I would repeat it, I would just cut down a little bit more until I got to where I didn't crave it and I didn't want it. And instead, I was drinking dandelion root tea. And um, that completely blew my mind. And then I said, "What? there's something to this. That really worked. I need to know more. <laughs> right? So at that point is when I started um, reading, you know, there were like maybe five herb books <laughs> in existence back then, <laughs> you know? And uh, I got a hold of them and started reading. And then I started talking to people who said they were herbalists and following them around. And um Ended up up at the Wise Woman Center in the 80s, in the later 80s in upstate New York, and completely mind blown by being introduced, you know, how to learn directory, directly from plants and um, what we call organoleptics now, you know, using your senses to really help understand the medicine of them and, um, 
you know, learning basically what we would call now the clinical use, kind of like village herbalist style. So I did that and I got so fascinated with it. I decided that's what my life was supposed to be about. Like art was fun, music was great, but it wasn't doing the same thing for me as really connecting with the plants and learning traditional herbalism. Um, so then I lived in New England and I did that, you know, the whole traditional village herbalist style thing, mm-hmm. made products, went to fairs, had an herb booth, taught classes, had a garden. Nah, nah, nah. I did that for about 10 years um, up there. And then I had a kid and I moved to the Southern Appalachians around the Asheville, North Carolina area, um, which is herbal Mecca, you know, East Coast herbal Mecca. Of course, of course. Amazing. Yeah. And I did the same thing there for another 10 years. And at that point, um, my kid got to be school age. And, you know, I a typical hippie mother, right? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to homeschool and I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do that. And my kid comes up and says, hey, mom, send me to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to go to school like the other kids, you know? So I was like, oh, well, okay, so much for my fancy idea. And uh, so the kid went off to school and I was like, what am I going to do with myself now? You know, so I went back to school also and I went back to the University of North Carolina and um, I kind of reignited my passion for anything scientific, but I put it all in the context of uh, medicinal plants and herbal Mm -hmm. medicine. And so, um, you know, like when I was in high school, I was a super duper chemistry nerd and I was all over like, you know, the physics and all that stuff. And um, so I kind of, you know, I I thought, you know, how am I going to distinguish my, like, what's my niche going to be in herbal world? Mm -hmm. And and I had started hearing at some, some point along that long trail, I had come across Jim Duke, Dr. James Duke, the famous, like he was one of the, one of the first people who was really bringing the chemistry and the pharmacognosy into herbal world. Um, And I just got fired up and I'm like, I'm going back to college. I'm going to take all the chemistry and the biochem and, and all the, you know, anything that has to do with anything with health sciences and botany and, you know, plant ID. And so I, kind of put together my curriculum, you know, from everything they had that could vaguely be turned (laughs) towards um, herbalism and medicinal plants. And I did that, graduated, met a guy, moved to Colorado, Mm -hmm. and um, came across the Rocky Mountain Center for Botanical Studies. Um, So at that point, uh, I was I had made um, a visual curriculum for teaching classes with PowerPoint. I got like really fascinated with PowerPoint, Mm -hmm. you know, around 2000. And so I started putting, you know, beautiful plant pictures and chemist, you know, phytochemical models together. And then I looked at all that and I'm like, I should write a book out of this. So Mm -hmm. I wrote a book about it that kind of followed the progression of what I created there um, started teaching it here in Boulder, um, started teaching at NAIMH, which was Paul Bergner's herbal school that started, I believe he started in that, oh gosh, when was that? Was that 04? I think he started that school. And then he decided to retire, um, in 2011. So the last year of that school, I worked directly with him. He trained me to basically take over being the director of the school, mm-hmm. which we started doing in 2012 and turned it into CSCH. Um, so over all that time, I was teaching and developing, you know, my knowledge of integrating Western clinical herbalism with phytochemistry and pharmacognosy, um, which ended up being a really fun combination for me because it's like the specifics 
and the context, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, I don't know, it, it works out to, to approach things from, from both of those different levels for me. I love your story, but I want to take you a couple of steps back. Our listeners might not know some of the terminology. So one of them is, you mentioned pharmacognosy. What is pharmacognosy? So pharmacognosy, it's like pharmacology, mm-hmm. only today pharmacology generally applies to medications and pharmaceuticals, you know, understanding of the drugs, how they work in the body, how they're metabolized, what their modes of action are, et cetera, et cetera. Pharmacognosy is the same thing, only it's applied to plants, to medicinal plants and botanical medicines instead of um, contemporary pharmaceutical medicines. So it's basically knowledge of the plant drugs with quotes around them there. Right, yeah. right. So it's the science of those plant uh, constituents and products. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, what's in there and how those, you know, how those constituents, which are molecules, you know, how they do what they do and how they contribute to the actions of the herbs that they're in. That's fabulous. Thank you. So um, I know that you, um, when you wrote the book, The Herbal Constituents, you became known in the herbal world as an expert in phytochemistry and pharmacognosy. And so I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about why an average herbalist or Mm -hmm. some of the, I know that you also attract some of the clinicians like healthcare providers, like physicians and nurses and pharmacists. Mm -hmm. Why do these categories of people or these categories of learners, why should they learn about constituents? Why should they learn about the science of herbs? It always seems much more interesting and appealing to people to learn about like, what can these things do in terms of, you know, what they're actions are, therapeutics, things of that Mm -hmm. type. But can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of herbal constituents? Sure, absolutely. So in in one sense, they're totally unimportant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I like to start my classes that way. It's like, you actually don't need to know anything about this because you can be a really good herbalist and a really good healer without any of this knowledge, right? But it gives you an additional set of tools, not only to understand how the plants are doing what they're doing, but to understand how they're appropriate in different situations, it gives you a lot of insight on how to make extractions. So how to make better herbal medicines, what you can formulate with other things, what might be contraindicated together. And it also gives you a lot of understanding if you're going to work integratively um, with conventional medical practitioners, because, you know, the training is to understand what the molecules are doing. Right. And it's really the molecules are molecules. You know, there's molecules in medications, there's molecules in plants, but there's some differences going on in plants about um, synergistic effects that molecules have with each other. Right. So it gives you a lot, a lot, almost a sort of more modernized way of Mm -hmm. um, being able to understand what your plant medicines are doing, you know, because we live in the modern world. And if you if you just want to stick to straight up, you know, traditional herbalism, use this herb in that condition for this kind of person with those energetics, that's, that's kind of like what Chinese medicine does in a way and does really well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to have this uh, to, to be an effective practitioner, but I really think it helps you understand a lot more deeply, not only what you're doing, but how to do it even better and how to do it integratively and how to work safely with a client who's taking medications, right? Because you need to know about herb drug interactions. 
um, and, you know, potentials for those to be negative or positive, right? Mm -hmm. So when you understand how the molecules in the plants, how the herbal constituents are metabolized in the body, then you understand, you know, what to avoid and, you know, different levels of safety and what you might look out for as a side effect and things like that. So it really gives you kind of a, a professional level skill set with the herbs when you understand what the constituents are doing and how you can work with them that way. That's great. Thank you. So I share my love of science with you. And part of the reason is the understanding of structures helps me to categorize my knowledge, put it in buckets and categories, uh, rather than forcing me to memorize every single uh, one of them. So I know that something that you enjoy doing for your students and in general is using these uh, concepts and showing your students how to apply them to everyday life. And I think you mm -hmm. mentioned a couple of them, like interactions and how to prepare certain things, like, for example, mm -hmm. uh, certain uh, ingredients or certain plants cannot go together because maybe one will precipitate or something mm -hmm. else will happen. Can you give us some practical examples of what you're typically talking about? Yeah, sure. So, you know, there's um, one of the things that we spend in my um, phytochemistry course that I teach, one of the things that we spend multiple classes on is solubility and extractions. Because, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things a lot of herbalists like to do is make their own preparations, their own, you know, formulas, and they like to formulate for their clients and things like that. And um, there's, there's the pretty good way to do it that we all learn it first. Mm -hmm. There's the way that you can really target your methods to focus on certain constituents in the herbs and bring those out, you know. Um, so I don't know, it's, you know, it's Colorado, everybody thinks about cannabis here, but mm -hmm. I, I remember, there's a lot of interest in, in using, extracting cannabis for medicinal uses and hemp for CBD and stuff like that. And, you know, people will come up and be like, well, can I just make tea out of that? And I'm like, well, you could, but if you're interested in extracting CBD, you're not going to get very much in water because it's a low polarity molecule and it, mm -hmm. like, it has low water solubility. Um, and traditionally what pharmacists would do back in the, you know, the, after the mid 1800s, um, cannabis was pharmacopial. It was in the USP and they gave very specific directions about how to percolate it, how to make a percolated extraction, a tincture extraction. And they used 91% ethanol. Right. So uh -huh. they have this very targeted thing, and that's based on the polarity characteristics of ethanol, like mm -hmm. ethanol as a solvent. How much of it do you need to get this particular molecule out of this plant matrix? So, you know, they, I came across a number of people just trying to extract with glycerin. Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, this is great. It's glycerin, you know? And I'm like, actually, that's one of the worst things that you can use to, to try to get cannabinoids out of cannabis because glycerin is like water, you know? So you learn the, the, the um solvent the characteristics of different solvents that's you know what you call anything you use to pull constituents out of a plant so you learn the characteristics of the different ones and that and then you learn the kind of characteristics of the constituents that are in the plant that you want to bring out and you can match those much better and you can make you know much more potent herbal medicines that way and um another thing you know you, you have to think about too is like if you have you know five different plants are you supposed to extract them you know, all the same with the same method. No, you can really target that. Um, and that's, if you look in the old 
USPs and the old um, British pharmacopias and the pharmacist formularies, you'll see very, very specific indications about, you know, what to use 47% alcohol and 10% acetic acid and water with this plant, you know. So they worked all this stuff out back in the day when uh, conventional medicine was botanical medicine, right? right? People like, you know, uh, John King of King's American Dispensatory and John Yuri Lloyd, the famous pharmacist, Lloyd Library, um, they did like thousands of experiments on medicinal plants to see what the most efficacious kind of extracts were, right? Um, even though they didn't know as much as we know today about the, the actual constituents that were in there, they didn't know nearly as much as we know today, but they knew it on a practical basis because they would do these experiments, they would make these extracts, they would give them to the physicians, <laughs> right? And the physicians would use them and they would come and give them feedback. And they'd be like, you know, this one with 20% worked a lot better than this one with 80%. So mm -hmm. they worked it out in a very empirical sort of way back then. Um, so, you know, knowing how to focus your medicine making, I think, is one of the real benefits of this. And another thing that's really interesting to a lot of herbalists is, you know, molecules seem so abstract, right? right. They're like, they're too tiny to see. We can't like actually see a single molecule, but we can learn the sensory communications from them, mm -hmm. right? So when you learn, for example, you look at beets and beet juice, mm -hmm. and it has that like brilliant, like kind of magenta, red, purpley, <laughs> unnameable right. color, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that color you learn is actually a, a set of constituents called betalayan alkaloids, right? Mm -hmm. Water soluble. Um and you can actually see them. So when you see the collection of like billions and trillions of them giving off that color, right? So when you look at a beet and you see that color, and then you see that same color in something else, like the inside of a prickly pear cactus fruit, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Or the stem of a purslane weed, or, you know, the some Swiss chards or rainbow chard stems or mm -hmm. Greens or whatever, and you see that particular color, and you're like, "Oh, betalayan alkaloids." That means <laughs> that you know this plant probably has some very strong anti-inflammatory properties and antioxidant ability, and because we know that about the molecules, right? And um, at least in vitro and animal tests, it has some really potent anti-cancer activity on different cell lines. And so you, you kind of start being able to see the set of activities that are associated with a constituent. Mm -hmm. um, start seeing them in different plants, right? Which is really, really interesting because then it gives you some latitude to do some substitution and stuff. It's like with, um, here's a good example of it too, mucilaginous plants, right? Molson right? herbs. Um, you know, there's a ton of them and they're, but we all know they're all mucilaginous because they all have heteropolysaccharides in them, which love to grab onto water and stuff themselves with water molecules, basically, and get all slippery <laughs> and viscous, you know. And um, so you could have, oh, you know, oh, I could use Althea, I could use marshmallow root, I could use rose hips, I could use licorice, you know, there's like a whole train, I could use slippery elm of, um, of um, mucilaginous herbs that you know have these heteropolysaccharides in them. And then you also know that heteropolysaccharides have a immunostimulant activity mm -hmm. as well as being soothing to the tissues, you know, the contact soothing on mucous membranes and whatnot. So you can start kind of crafting your formulas to, um, you know, include plants 
based on their actions and the constituents that they contain. And then you harmonize that formula, you know, and it, it just gives you, it's really, you know, I'm, I'm really happy. I learned herbalism before I went back and studied a whole bunch of chemistry. So I have this kind of like matrix understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and then I learn about, you know, what we know about the isolated molecules. And then I can, I can really plug that knowledge back into the herbs and back into the formulas. And I feel like it gives me so much more ability to, to make an extract and to make a formula that expresses the potential of those constituents a lot more. This is fascinating, but I also know that you like to talk about health-promoting food. So uh, someone who is listening to this might be thinking, okay, so herbs are really interesting, but the chemistry is also in foods, right? So oh, yeah. I know that you like to talk about vitality and some mm -hmm. of the pigments and some of the colors that we find. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. You know, I don't, in my head, foods and herbs are the same thing. There's mm -hmm. really no just no practical distinction right. right if we're talking about actual foods like whole foods like right. not like <laughs> the cute little thing in the cellophane in the gas station but yeah you know and in fact linguistically in the english language herbs what all food was called herbs unless it was an animal product right that was all herbs and somewhere along the line we started separating that out but um I like to call certain things medicinal foods to highlight that they have a high concentration of these beneficial phytochemicals in them. Like a really famous one is blueberries. Mm -hmm. right? Everybody's like, oh yeah, blueberries are really good for me. Um, they're an antioxidant, you know, they're, they're good for my brain. They help prevent, you know, the, in the long term, they contribute to the prevention of heart disease and things like that. So you can look at just about every different like natural fruit or vegetable is a collection of hundreds of biologically active phytochemicals that are contributing, you know, to health maintenance. And so one of, one of the really good ones I, I like to use as an example is an orange, mm -hmm. right? Or we can even use a blood orange, right? So, cause blood oranges are amazing. Um, but, you know, you get an orange, you get a nice organic orange, and, and the peel of the orange, it even starts with a peel. In fact, a lot of the phytochemicals in fruits collect in the, uh, the skins or the peels, mm -hmm. the highest concentration of them is. So what's on the outside of an orange peel? You look at it, it's orange. We know that one of the main sources of the color orange uh, in the plant world is carotenoids, right? Carotenoids are like you know, beta carotene is the most famous of them, but there's right. a whole array of them. Like nature never just makes one constituent. It's that's the human tunneling, you know, <laughs> we're mm -hmm. like zoom laser focused beta carotene, but there's like alpha, beta, delta and gamma carotene and all their friends and all the related and the xanthophils. So this is like whole family, right. Of carotenoids um, on the outside of the orange. And so if it's an organic orange, just take a bite out of it, you know, or, or chop it up and put it in your food or put it in your tea or put it in your herbal formula because you're getting all those carotenoids, which are oil-soluble, anti-inflammatory antioxidants that probably contribute to cancer prevention, mm -hmm. right? And then also in the um, uh, peel of an orange, there are little pockets of essential oil, 
right? And the main constituent in that essential oil is a constituent called limonene, which is really interesting. A lot of studies have been done on limonene. And um, it's it's very, very neuroprotective, right? And it has these broad-spectrum cellular protective activities. So, And it also has strong anti-inflammatory and potential anti-cancer activity as well. So, you know, there's your peel. And then on the inside of the peel, you have the white part right? That white kind of, you know, pithy part on the inside of the peel. And that's an incredibly rich source of flavonoids, right? Or specifically bioflavonoids and citrus. And, you know, so there's quercetin and rutin and just a bunch of them. There's hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of flavonoids in there, which they used to call flavonoids vitamin P Mm -hmm. (laughs) when they were working out what the vitamins were, you know, they're like vitamins are something you have to have to live. So at one point they had, before they separated out all the individual flavonoid molecules, they called the flavonoids collectively, they called them vitamin P. And the P was for permeability, permeability factor, as in capillary permeability, Mm -hmm. as in you need flavonoids for proper capillary tone, right? Because your capillaries need to pass, you know, fluid in and out, and they need to retain certain things and let other things out into the tissues. Um, So if you have a deficiency of, quote, vitamin P, you... um, in, in conjunction with the vitamin C deficiency, you have scurvy, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, and, but we sort of like brushed vitamin P aside and decided it was all about vitamin C instead, right? Which is also in your orange. So that's cool. And then if you, those flavonoids on the inside of the orange peels, that's, that's a superfood, right? We're used to like superfoods being kind of from other parts, you know, you know, far flung parts of the world and um, (laughs) rare and unusual or tropical or something and expensive. But um, that white stuff on the inside of an orange peel is in my book, straight up superfood. You can just scrape that off and eat it. And it's basically trash, (laughs) right? This is what people throw out. And it's also in a matrix of pectin, Right. And pectin is really um, it's another kind of heteropolysaccharide. It's really good for our microbiota. Right. We're learning more and more how important microbiotal health is to pretty much everything the human body does. Um, and it, it all, you know, probably through action on the microbiota, it's helpful for it helps modulate blood sugar levels and blood lipids and things like that. And it helps with detoxification, et cetera. So this is all in an orange peel. Right, and then you get to the inside of your orange if it's a blood orange, and the the reason blood oranges are that beautiful color is because they have anthocyanins on the inside, right? Just like blueberries and mm-hmm. elderberries and purple carrots and purple cabbage and most things that are blue or purple or red. Mm-hmm. Um, and anthocyanins are another type of flavonoid that's really good for our blood vessels and our lymphatic vessels, and it's uh, helps with proper cell growth regulation, protects the visual pigment, you know, helps with cardiovascular health and the helps uh, with keeping the endothelium, you know, things from oxidizing in your venous endothelium and helps prevent heart disease. And it's just got like one of these really like fundamental places in human health, right? And um, the reason it's that pretty color in a blood orange is because blood oranges are acidic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, citrus, um, which is also another category of things that are good for us. But um, um, it's that beautiful color because anthocyanins change color with different pH, 
right? So if it's really acidic, they're pink or red. And if it's more like neutral to alkaline, they're blue and purple, right? So you see this this really interesting range of color, but it's all expressing the um, rich presence of anthocyanins. So you could you could pick any one fruit or vegetable and go on like this about it, you know, parsley. <laughs> parsley, I consider to be, um, it's a medicinal herb, a medicinal food, right? A lot of your culinary herbs are that way. They're really, you know, stuffed with wonderful health-promoting, you know, anti-inflammatory, neuroprotective, cardioprotective constituents. So to me, um, the more colorful and varied your food is, and there's, there's even been books written about this, right? Isn't there like the rainbow diet and things like that? You know, every different color that you see expressed in a plant in your food and herbs is indicating the presence of some colorful you know, biologically active phytochemical. So if you learn what colors go with what, then you can, you know, you can go grocery shopping like an herbalist. <laughs> you could be like, hmm, I feel as if I need some betalain alkaloids, anthocyanins, and glucosylates today, you know. And you go to the grocery store and, and you find those things. So um yeah, I foods and herbs, same thing. I always I always tell people, you know, you can't fix a dietary problem by slapping an herbal band-aid on it, mm. <laughs> which a lot of us want to do because we want the quick, easy fix. It is easier nature. that way. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But what's also fascinating to me is that I remember the first time when I just started learning about herbs and we had a discussion of the difference between ascorbic acid in vitamin C that you are getting in a pharmacy or in a vitamin shop or something like this versus that mm -hmm. orange, that blood orange. And so all the richness of ingredients and constituents that you just shared with us versus a single molecule. And uh, once again, a little bit earlier in this conversation, you were talking about that, you know, herbs have constituents and drugs have constituents and we need to, to recognize that. And this is why the science does exist. But the difference between them is very often that the medications or the pharmaceuticals, that it's a single thing. It's a single mm -hmm. ingredient that is traveling into your body. And when you're drinking your herbal tea or when you're eating some of these medicinal foods or, you know, fruits, vegetables, whatever it is, you are exposing your body to an army of helpful ingredients and helpful constituents that are protecting you from many different things. And so I really appreciate you you going through this, whether it is with parsley or whether it is with blood orange and for our audience to clearly recognizing that there is, that there is a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're more closely related to plants than we are to single molecule pharmaceuticals. Like that's something we created. Nature created plants and animals, and we're a particular kind of animal, you know, we're mammals. And so we're kind of made of the same stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and if you look at it in a, from, with an evolutionary perspective, it's like we've evolved in taking plants over our entire existence and, you know, developing the, you know, enzymes to detoxify most of them except the poisonous ones <laughs> um, and developing you know the digestive ability to incorporate things from plants so that's that's our evolutionary context is plant medicine right and we we started being able to extract individual molecules and even to create individual molecules now with you know the powers of chemistry we can do that um, and I think, you know, some of those things we've made obviously save people's lives, but they're a completely different substance, right, than 
uh, a biologically evolved entity like us and plants and fungi and, you know, other animals or whatnot. So there's this familiarity. I think there's this biological familiarity we have with botanical medicine that um, is not the same thing as pharmaceutical medicine, you know, so if they don't substitute for each other, you know what I mean? It's like, sometimes you need one, sometimes you need the other, sometimes you need a combination of the two. Um, and, you know, I think that's, like you said, it's, it's important to understand that you're really working in different worlds when you're doing botanical medicine and when you're doing more conventional medicine. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of trying to substitute one for the mm -hmm. other. You know what I mean? Either like they'll go pharmaceutical quick fix, like, oh, I've got, you know, insulin resistance. I'll just take a pill and it'll go away <laughs> when actually that doesn't work that well. Um, or they don't want to take a pharmaceutical for whatever reason. And they think they can just substitute a plant for it and get the same kind of action. And it doesn't work that way either. It's not like a this for that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm all about using what works and doesn't hurt you no matter what that is. Um, and, you know, I understand that people have different abilities, whether it's financial ability or time or, you know, whatever, to um, be able to engage in certain kinds of therapeutics. So, you know, sometimes you do need to go for the quick thing to a certain degree and then realize you're going to have to, you know, do, make some changes later <laughs> or whatever. So um, understanding, you know, kind of the whole, that interface um, between botanical medicine and conventional medicine and understanding constituents really helps you to be able to um, see the appropriateness of different materia medica and see how they can, you know, the best way that they can act together in certain situations. It's interesting that you're talking about them acting together because what comes to my mind is that a lot of researchers, even like in pharmaceutical companies right now, are recognizing the, the brilliance of Mother Nature. Many of the herbs or many of the botanicals, there are a variety of diverse constituents. So they're might be one that produces one action and there might be another that produces a completely different action and there might be a third mm -hmm. one that prevents the or protects your body from getting a little bit too much of the effect of the first two compounds. And so, and I think right. that we can start looking at some of the pharmaceuticals and how they are developed where they're trying to mitigate the effects of certain components of certain ingredients and uh -huh. constituents by adding something else. And so it's, uh -huh. it's for me as a pharmacist, it's very exciting to see that we're learning from mother nature and that we're recognizing uh -huh. the superiority of this thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it gives you a lot more ability to achieve what you're trying to achieve sometimes. And, you know, there's even like positive synergy, mm -hmm. something that just popped into my mind. Um, there's a constituent called corallagen. It's a type of, of small tannin molecule. And um, I, they, ex they extract it from um, pomegranate mm -hmm. rind. And it's also in uva ursi, which is a famous herbal medicine. Arctostophilus uva ursi. But there have been several studies that um, used it in conjunction with various antibiotics. I think beta-lactams class of antibiotics mm -hmm. or MRSA mm -hmm. infection. And it both, you know, the antibiotic and the corallagen together are far more efficacious than either agent alone, you know. And to me, that's like the really exciting interface, you know, because when you're when you're dealing with something really serious or like strep throat infection that could have some really bad consequences, you know, it's like 
don't, I don't get stuck in one paradigm or the other paradigm. I'm like, you know, what, how can you best combine things from your pool of knowledge to address this situation? Um, and things, you know, studies like that get me really excited because that's, that's what I do a lot, you know, you know, just with my own self and my family. If something is going awry, I'm like, okay, here's the prescription and the pharmaceutical that's recommended, you know, check out the side effects and make sure it's not too scary. And then I do that at the same time that I do herbs mm-hmm. and, or, and dietary things. And I, you know, I know how to check for interactions to do that safely, but, to me, when you're in a really, you know, serious, like acute kind of situation, it makes total sense to me to do something like that. Where herbs really come out and shine more is in chronic um, conditions that don't really have, a, you know, a direct pharmaceutical, I don't want to use the word cure because we're not supposed to use the word cure or whatever, but um, that, you know, there's not um, a relatively harmless agent that can take care of them, you know. And that's where I think herbs really come out and shine because they tie into that biological familiarity. And by herbs, I mean foods and Mm -hmm. herbs, right? And they can really help correct imbalances on a very deep underlying level, you know? Um, And so that's, you know, in, in our herbal clinic, that's what we mainly see. You know, we're not there's different legislation in different states. We're not allowed to like do medical treatment on people. Like we see people to the medical clinic for that, but most of the people that we see come into our clinic have some kind of chronic condition or chronic inflammatory condition, or, you know, my knees have been hurting since I was a little kid and I tried all these medications and they don't really help. And, you know, that's where this natural medicine can be super supportive because it can help correct some of these deep, you know, physiological things that have gone awry. Great. And so uh, it's, I think it's a perfect transition for us because you mentioned your clinic. And so I wanted also to ask you to talk a little bit more about the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. And you also have Elderberry's Herb Farm and Education Center. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about those? And also, like, what are some of the offerings that you have? What type of students that you attract? What type of practitioners? Practitioners, do you graduate? Right, right. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, Paul Bergner started this school, um, and Paul Bergner uh, is an amazing, unique individual. So, his train—he trained with old school naturopaths before, like naturopathic physician licensing. His teachers um, are people who kept that idea of natural medicine alive in this country over, you know, the dark ages, so to speak, in the twenties and thirties um, and forties. And he learned so many like jewels of wisdom and therapeutic things from them. Um, and the tradition of vitalism came down to that way too, which is like, you know, the, the whole vitalism thing, I'm, I'm kind of straying from the direct question here a little bit, but the whole vitalism thing just fascinates me to no end because it's a big pe- picture way of looking at stuff. And I'll never forget this. Well, the first year I went back to college, um, it was in 1997 and I got my biology class. I was so excited in you know, my biology 101. I get my textbook, I open it. And right there the, in the first paragraph of the book, it goes, people used to believe in this thing called vitalism. They used to think there was a vital force that made, you know, living things different from the, the non-living world. But today we know that that's not real. <laughs> and, and, and I had never heard of like vitalist medicine at that point, but I stopped and I went, that's interesting. You're starting a book with what something isn't, you know, it was making this like really like 
fat, like fun. Okay, you started college. Here's your biology 101. The first thing you need to know is there's no such thing as a vital force. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was just, I've been fascinated by that ever since. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, funny old weird idea, vital force, not real. Now I understand what people were talking about with that because I learned this from Paul Bergner. It's not like there's some kind of mysterious fluid going through the body. You know, it's like, it's like the intelligence of nature. You know, that's the way I think of it. That like we, nature is always smarter than we are. We are a subset of nature. And like, we're the smart monkeys that have technology and we can do crazy things and go to the moon and like make molecules, and right? Cell phones and whatnot. But um, nature is smarter than we are. Like nature has been working us out for how long has life been around? Like four billion, three and a half billion years or something, Right. Um, and, and we get arrogant because we're the smart monkeys and we're like, oh yes, well, we can do this and we understand this and we can create this fabulous molecule and oops, uh, patient was cured, but they died from the side effects, you know? And, um, we have to like realize that there's a lot we still don't know and really good scientists know that, right? They're like, yeah, we know these things and these things and, and, uh, that might be overturned (laughs) in the next decade and, uh, all these other things will be figured out. So just you know, actually maintaining the reverence for, for the complexity and the brilliance of nature and the fact that the human body can heal itself, mm-hmm. you know, if you remove obstacles to cure and give it the right tools. That's the root of vitalism and understanding that that life power is beyond our current understanding, right? We might ha- not have instruments to measure it, but we know what it feels like, right? We know when we have vitality and we know when we're drooping. You know, and you can look at one person and be like, wow, their eyes are sparkling and they're happy and they're dancing. And, you know, they spread that that you walk into the room and you just feel good because you're in the same room with them, you know, or yourself. And, and then there's the person who's just dragging it in and like going through the motions. We all know what that feels like, right? So when we talk about the vital energy or the life power is what I like to call it. Um, it's, it's, it's a big picture thing, you know, it's, it's not really metaphorical so much as it is, gosh, you know, it's, it's a different level of seeing, you know, the function of life. So I'm way into molecules. Chemistry fascinates me to no end. But I, we have to also recognize that there are these big picture things going on that we can't necessarily describe or measure or test yet <laughs> with our current scientific methods. Um, so the vitalist herbalism thing is what Paul really brought mm-hmm. Western vitalist herbalism with herbal energetics. Mm-hmm. That's what he brought forward to CSCH. So the difference between a lot of Western herbalism and something like Chinese medicine or Ayurveda is that they have systems of what they call energetics. So a person has a constitution or a temperament, as we would say in Western medicine, you know, and that's your that's your setup. That's your general characteristics. You might run hot, you might run cold, you might run dry, you know, you might be a moist person, you might be a kapha type, like a slow, steady person, you might be like a firebird, you know, people have all different sorts of characters, mm-hmm. temperaments, mm-hmm. right, or constitutions, as you might say. So um, understanding that 
that therapeutics are different for each different type of person, right? And also the other thing about energetics is understanding that plants have these characteristics as well. You know, so some plants are what we would call hot, obviously like ginger, <laughs> right? They're plants that are stimulate certain processes or warm you up or something like that. Some plants are considered to be cooling, like that's our mucilaginous herbs and things like that. So, you know, if you're a hot person with a hot constitution and a hot inflamed condition, you might be thinking of some cooling herbs, you know. So it gives you not that those are necessarily straight up physical characteristics so much as they are sort of conceptual actions. Right. So that's a big part of the herbal approach, too. So that's what I tell people. Because people are like, what are you doing at, you know, CSCH? And, and we're like, well, it's herbal school. It's a nutrition school. And it's pretty much like the Western version of Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. Right. It's that whole system. Um, and it's much more powerful than just the this for that, what I call allopathic herbalism. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have a bladder infection. This is good for that. Right. <laughs> It's like, this is good for that. What is this good for? You know? Um, so it's, we, we all tend to think that way at first, but if you start getting into these patterns of energetics and actions and constitutional matches between plants and people and formulas, it just works better, you know? So I'm all for do what works. That, uh, so vitamins, herbalism, yeah, so that's what we do. So we have fundamentals, we have advanced, we have clinical herbalism, we have field botany for people who really want to get mm-hmm. out there and like learn plant ID. Um, very, oh my gosh, our field botany teachers are just blow my mind. They know like a thousand obscure words and what they mean and why you should care, and you know, and how to harvest and how to wildcraft. Um, we're going to be starting an aromatherapy program awesome. in 2020, which I'm super excited about. So, you know, how to use essential oils in a vitalist way integrated with herbalism. Um, we have advanced nutrition classes. We have flower essence therapies. So we've got a, And then we have a bunch of shorter things going on here. Um, and then out of, so that's, you know, all of our programs, um, in Lafayette and our new location, all that stuff happens. And all of them are live, right? So you, you have that? to be physically present there geographically. Yeah. So those are classroom mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. education and, um, you know, everybody's like distance learning. So we're working towards developing okay. more of that. We're going to, um, with the aromatherapy, we're going to film it and we're awesome. going to have it is distance learning probably in like 2021 or two and then um i also do the herbal constituents Mm -hmm. understanding herbal chemistry course Mm -hmm. which is learning through herbal medics academy which is a really great school um and then out at our farm we're we're integrating the two locations so i found this amazing little farm like total middle of nowhere colorado mountains gorgeous just like every time i drive out there i'm like oh <laughs> you know, it's just oh, so beautiful. Um, it's in the North Fork Valley, which is the highest concentration of organic farms and orchards in Colorado. Wow. So there's a bunch of crazy plant people living in the valley, just, you know, growing amazing biodynamic gardens and herb farms and it, it's pretty stunning. And um, somebody sent me in that direction, a little town called Paonia, which is named after peonies, <laughs> right? I'm like, the town, it's named after a medicinal plant. I need to go there. Um, so we got a little four and a half acre place there. And right now we are planning 
elderberry bushes as fast as we can. <laughs> we have an amazing gardener who's a graduate of our school. Chloe Marcellus is doing a fantastic herb garden there. It just, I don't even understand how she does what she does. We're putting in aronia bushes, which are the new hotness. Aronia is a Native American berry that's like elderberries, only better. Mm-hmm. And we have people come out periodically for workshops. So we do all kinds of fun things like wild foods is our next one. So um, our botany teachers are going to take people out to um, harvest wild foods and teach them how to cook them over a fire. And they're going to put on a wild foods feast, Um, which last year we did that. I swear, I'm not kidding. It was the best food I've ever eaten in my life. Like, I don't even know how they did that but it was amazing. <laughs> um, and then we have a mead, herbal mead making Seven. where you extract honey and then you ferment them and turn them into mead. And we have wise woman week where it's like a lot of hands-on learning you know, directly from the plants and organoleptics. And um, what else are we doing? We have a really cool fellow who comes out and does um, essential oil distilling with a local herbs. Um, he does a lot of conifers and stuff, makes hydrosol and essential oils. We always end up in early October with Nature Cure Weekend, where basically we run around outside in the bare feet and play in the mud and sing at the sunrise and <laughs> just uh, turn into kids in nature and hang up some from the apple trees and sit around the That is fabulous. It just sounds like so much fun. It sounds like so it much really fun. Is. Is, you know, so that's elder elderfarm.com is the website for that. Um, and we're developing an apprenticeship program out there as well. So okay, that's wonderful. So you gave us the the web address. I will ask you to repeat it in a couple of minutes one more time. Earlier you talked about all these herbalists, mid-1800s, late 1800s, uh, that were preparing different types of preparation, uh, learning how to extract things. Is any of this information still available? And I guess where I'm heading with this is I'm looking for your recommendation of some of the resources that our audience could get Mm -hmm. to. And so whether it is that uh, you have something from eclectics or perhaps uh, any type of information on constituents that you can recommend, it could be books, it could be forums, it could be websites, anything, it could be conferences, anything that comes to your mind that makes sense uh, for our audience to explore. Oh my goodness. There's just so many. Um, so for the older stuff, it, that's, that's the beauty of the internet now, because you know, these, these old books, um, they were hard to right. find back in the day. And, and particularly until people started digitizing and, you know, putting them up, it's like, nobody knew about this stuff. I never right. heard of it. And a lot of people hadn't, but, um, there were various schools of medicine in the old days. The one with physiomedicalists and the most famous one of those um, professor, practitioner, author was um, Cook, William Cook, right? So physio-medicalist dispensatory Mm -hmm. was his, you know, crowning work. And it's got um, pharmacy, it's got materia medica, it's got therapeutics. And it's in kind of archaic language because I think it, the the first uh, edition of that, if I'm not mistaken, came out in 1869, I think, or some something close okay. to that. Um, and just just type that in. I know that Paul Bergner has PDFs of that up. I know another person who has a lot of great resources up on their um, website is David mm-hmm. Winston. He's a nerdy, you know, old chemistry physician, botanical medicine book guy. 
And um, yeah, so both David Wynn's website and Paul Bergner's website, you can just Google it. They have all kinds of interesting, you know, resources from the old days up there that you can go and get for free PDFs of this stuff. And also King's American Dispensatory. um, If you just Google that, the whole thing is up on the website now, thanks to Henrietta uh, Herbalist from Finland, Henrietta Press. it's uh, it's just kind of a mind blowing material, and you know another place you can the website is still up. Michael yes. Moore's old website, Southwest School of Botanical mm-hmm. Medicine. He was one of the first people who was really bringing this this old stuff forward and teaching about constituents and and stuff as well. So you can still go to that website and get. There's a lot of. Um, of the older works that you can download from there. A lot of the formulary. Um, Fenner's formulary is really cool if you're interested in medicine making. And again, it's older, so it doesn't have, you know, the mock constituent information. But Fenner's formulary is just incredible because it's like, here you have a plant, Lobelia. Here's how you can extract it. Five different ways, five different preparations. Don't do that. Do this, you know. It's just all um, experiential stuff. So that's really cool. Um, there is a great book that like I, every botanical practitioner should have this. It's the American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook, um, which I think is brilliant because it's got a lot of constituent information, but it's about plant by plant. And it gives you detailed safety side effects or drug interactions. You know, it's like we have three copies up here at school and we make sure everybody mm-hmm. uses it. Um, so that's a really good one. Anything by Aviva mm-hmm. Ram is fantastic. So she's got, you know, uh, what is it? Botanical Women. Medicine for yep. Women's Health. Yep. The second edition came out recently. She's an herbalist and a physician, brilliant person. So I always recommend her works. And then um, what else for phytochemical? Well, there's my book, Herbal Constituents. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, which is pretty good. Um, needs updating. I, that came out in... Uh, when did I publish that? Oh, nine, I think. So I'm getting ready to start on the okay. second edition, which is going to be kind of like a companion volume okay. that, um, that focuses on each plant rather than just, mm-hmm. you know, the array of ones. I'm really excited about that project. I'm trying to like find the time in my schedule to start that now because I really want to do that. So that will become a reality. Oh, let's say within five okay. years. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. Um, yeah. And there, there was another one I want. Oh, you know, this one's really good. Um, Simon yes. Mills, uh, phytotherapy, okay. right? He's I, he's a brilliant guy. I think it's Carrie, Carrie Bone All and right. Simon Mills are both authors of this book. And it's the new edition, phytotherapy. It might have some other names in the title. I forget. Um, but that's really good because it's clinical. But the constituent information in that book is pretty much the best I've seen in a clinical book, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I have tons of tons of respect for that book. So I would highly recommend that also. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh Lisa, as we are coming to an end of this interview, I have two more questions for you. So you mentioned the website for the farm, but I want you to tell us listeners can find you, can find your school to continue learning from you and from the school. And so whether it is your website, social media presence, any of any of these things. And so that's my first question. And my last question for you will be, if you have any words of wisdom or any parting thoughts for our audience, if you could share with them. Um, that would be awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have three websites. Okay. <laughs> One of them is for the school, and that's clinicalherbalism.com, clinicalherbalism.com, all run together. Um, and that'll take to the CSEH website where you can see all the different programs and offerings we have there. And then I have herbal constituents which is where you can go to find my book and PowerPoints and find out what's in the distance learning and whatnot, specifically for herbal constituents. And then there's elderberriesfarm.com, which is all about the things we're doing in beautiful North Fork Valley, Peonia, Colorado. So, um, and we have, you can also search for us on Facebook. We have pretty active Facebook uh, pages for all of those entities as well. So we're easy to find. We're big and loud and shiny and colorful. (laughs) That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. So words of wisdom, I think, I think, you know what I think? I think what's really important for healing underlying all of this is community. And by community, I mean humans and plants and all the other living beings on the earth and our microbes, right? To, to keep looking at everything in the sense of community, because I think we've been trained in this crazy idea that we're isolated individuals and we can do whatever, you know, um, but a lot of people are unhappy today because they're not connected, you know, in a meaningful way with each other with their, you know, we are nature. It's like, it's not like nature starts outside the door over there somewhere, you know, it's this far flung thing you go to for two weeks in August. It's like, we are nature. And to keep understanding that our microbes connect us to every other living thing in our environment, right? Um, And to develop this wonder and this awe for that and this respect for the entire, you know, I see life moves through all expressions of nature, like everything that's alive is fundamentally connected to me, you know, and you can talk about that scientifically, you can talk about it spiritually, you can talk about it, you know, environmentally, microbiologically, but the fact is, we are all one big organism here, and when when we really get that, and we feel that, we develop this wonder and this respect and we start taking care of each other. We start taking care of the earth. We start taking care of plants because it's all us, right? And that's what I love about herbal medicine is it brings us back to that fundamental, like we all have a beautiful, interactive, complex, amazing place together and we are all the big life, right? Yeah, that's it. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. This was absolutely fabulous. Oh, thank you you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Lisa Ganora. For additional links and resources, please visit wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 76. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded on your device. This episode is proudly brought to you by the American Herbalist Guild. I've been a member of this organization for many years. Every fall, I attend HG Symposium, a great gathering of like-minded herbalists, where I always learn something new and exciting and network with others. Through this podcast, you've met many of the practicing members of the American Herbalist Guild. Professional members of this organization are recognized practitioners who have demonstrated to their peers their knowledge and expertise in the field of herbal medicine.
General members continue to enhance their education by reading the Journal of American Herbalist Guild, their monthly member newsletters, having free access to webinar archives, an amazing archive of symposium lecture recordings, and so much more. Additionally, each member gets discount and offers on products, services, and tickets from some of the best herbal suppliers, schools, and companies. Check out the show notes or wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash HG and learn more about this great organization. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you.